Welcome to another episode of Red Hill Stories, discussions about faith, life, and Jesus. If this is your first time listening to the podcast or you found us on Facebook or on Twitter, uh, please subscribe. You can go to our iTunes, you can go to our website or Spotify, and please hit that little subscribe button so you can follow us and you can get future episodes. I am your host, Lyle Walker, Pastor Lyle Walker, I'll add this time. I didn't get to add that last time. That's neat. And I'm here with Miss Janelle. You know, I was going to say this. How do you say your last name? Gushlaw. Gushlaw. I figured it was Gushlaw, but yeah. I, f- I didn't know if it was like one of those weird, like, you know, German names or something. It wasn't actually <laughs> Gush. It was like Goosh or something, you know? So I wanted to ask. Okay, so Gushlaw. And as a co, I guess, host, my wife, April Walker, is with us today. Say hey hello. Guys. Hey, guys. How's it going? Glad to be here. <laughs> Ready to hear some stories about Jesus. That's right. Get, That's get right. amen. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome, Janelle. Thank you. How are we today? I'm great. You're great? Yeah. You ready to do this? I'm ready. Okay. Okay. All right. So you're tired. You, you've got yes. a new, like, like, a sleep schedule. Like, you yeah. wake up at what time every single morning? 4.30. 4.30. On yes. purpose. On purpose. Mm. It's like you have kids again. Yes. Like babies. Because mm. you have kids, but babies. Yes. And what time is your normal bedtime? 7 30 8 o'clock <laughs> so so just for those listening we're recording we're recording at eight o'clock so um i did not know that when i scheduled this so um thank you for joining us and taking uh, getting less sleep yes um to tell your story we really appreciate it i know um God's i could not do that i could not yeah that's tough I'm mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> okay, the purpose of Red Hill Stories, like if, you're, if you're new to this, uh, the reason why we have this is it's so hard to get to know people on Sunday morning. Like, it's so hard. Like, I mean, you can try to have a sit-down conversation with somebody. You can try to sit down, maybe even grab lunch or whatever. But there's so much about our, like, the details of our lives that we just don't tell people. Yeah. Like in random conversations on a Sunday morning, you're not going to get into the stuff we're going to talk about today or the stuff that I talked about last time or whoever it may be. And so um, I love this, this, this thing because it allows people like you to give others just a little bit of detail, more details about their life. And then we can just shine a big, bright light of Jesus on it. Yes. And so I'm really excited to sit down with you and talk. So before we get into like the meat of the podcast, I always like to get something that's not so serious. Like what is something about you, Janelle, that maybe very few people actually know, but and they'd be shocked to know about you? I absolutely hate crowds. Crowds. <laughs> yes. I don't like to be with a lot of people. <laughs> so what is your like, like Id- idyllic? setting uh three or four people three or four something people. intimate yeah, yeah where everyone can be heard and seen so like church <laughs> is not comfortable for you no <laughs> yeah, you're not in your element no that's crazy <laughs> that is something that i would not have guessed yeah so yeah i don't like big crowds like like the only time i've ever pan- had a panic attack or almost a panic attack in a crowd was at disney leaving one time and there was just like thousands of people and you're crammed into the spot and they're trying to get you out and you just have, th- you know, it was too much. I almost, April had to pull me to the side and I was like, you need to breathe. <laughs> Do you feel like that at church? Do you have like almost panic attacks or is it just like, I'm not comfortable here? It's just, I'm not comfortable. You're just not comfortable. Yeah. Okay. So no crowds. We'll try to keep it for, well, I guess then social distancing is really comfortable for you. <laughs> yeah, like, good. That's right. Like 10 or less. It's this like, way, yeah, hey. this is perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much. 
I don't even have to worry now. Everywhere yeah. I go, <laughs> supposed to go, is 10 or less. Perfect. Miss <gasps> Janelle, what is your story? So I will just go ahead and start. Um, from when I was a child in early life. I'm from Central Florida. I was born in Lake Wales, and I was abandoned by my parents. Um, I ended up being adopted by my grandparents, and they raised both my sister and I from a very young age. Um, our biological parents left when she was less than a year old. And so, I didn't have the best relationship with my grandfather. He was in the Marines, and he struggled with what is now a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder. Then he was undiagnosed, and he just had a lot of anger issues, and so he would just have tons of flashbacks, and there would be a lot of mental, emotional, and physical abuse um, that led to me developing an eating disorder and... I just turned to food to cope, and then as I ate all the food, I continued to gain weight, and then from the weight, um, brought bullying, and I was being made fun of, so that just developed into another entity on itself. Um, I was really great inside of school, though. I really excelled. I found that it was my safe place. Um, there was so much culture in the schools that I had went to. There was just so much diversity, so from a young age, I was able to just see so many different lifestyles, and I just realized that I wasn't alone and that everyone had their own things going on at home. Um, as I got older, some of the people who struggled the way that I struggled began to come into my friend circle, and so I found these people when I was in high school. and. Um, that's whenever I started to rebel. Um, I started skipping school a lot, and I would just go and get high all the time with whoever was willing to go smoke some weed, and it just kind of became a daily ritual for me. I would come to school, and then I would quickly leave well within the first period. And I... Um, I was just seeking for people who would accept me and love me because I felt incredibly unloved in the home that I was in. And so um, in one group of people that I met, they were involved in gang activity and something about their lifestyle brought a sense of security for me. So I started to engage with them and I started to date one of the members and I lost my virginity at the age of 14. I had no concept of what sex meant, what it was created for, that the Lord had purpose for it. It was just something that brought me comfort and in the moments that I engaged in it, I felt loved. And so that was just the beginning of something that lasted for quite a few years. Um, I continued to go to high school though and I would show up and leave and I just got into so much trouble. I eventually was asked to leave high school that I was attending and I was sent to an opportunity school where there I 
was obviously a problem. And so I continued to create and stir ruckus at this school. So like when you say rebellion, like that's kind of a general term, like what kind of rebellion outside of smoking and stuff like that? Like what was the, your form of rebellion, your preferred form, I guess? Mm. I think it was just my mouth. I had like huge pride. I just mm. love to just come back at whatever was told to me. I struggled with authority and like, ways that I really can't explain if someone was going to try to tell me what to do like I wasn't having it and so inside the classrooms these people who were trying to help me and the other students that were inside of these classrooms mm -hmm. would try to give instruction and I would just fire off at the mouth mm -hmm. which would in turn motivate the rest of the people inside of the classroom to do the same and so you're like an instigator. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was. I was an instigator. And um, and so it just kind of got to a point there that I was asked to um, either I was going to take a high school equivalency test or that I was going to be asked to leave the school completely. Um, and as I said before, because I did so well in school, I didn't have any doubt inside of my mind that I would be able to excel in the test because I was in gifted classes all throughout my education. So I took the test and I passed. And so I was finished with school at 15. And this opened up a lot of time for me to continue to be in the streets and engage in those activities that take place inside of the streets. Um, I didn't have any family that was like really prioritizing what it was that I was being exposed to. And so I just got to like, did you have, a, like, were you still with your grandparents right at this point? Did they have any type of, I guess, I want to use the word authority, but did they, I mean, what was that like? I mean, did they just, they didn't care where you were, or you just did, just did whatever you wanted? I think that that was definitely a blend. I don't think that my grandparents cared where I was, because, like, my grandmother would work a lot, and then, like, my grandfather would be home, and him and I didn't have a good relationship anyway, so you know, I could kind of just go and do whatever I wanted. And it's not like I chose to go do like fun extracurricular activities. Yeah. I chose to go out and engage yeah. in those lifestyles. Um, I, st I started fighting a lot. And like while I was in school, that was like one of the l things that like led me to having to go to the opportunity school was my anger was just so out of control. I'd been arrested, I was sent to teen court, and from the teen court, you know, I'd gotten arrested again, and then I was put on real juvenile probation. And it was during this time that I was still on probation that I was like just out living inside of the streets, just doing drugs and hanging out with a bunch of people I should not have been hanging out with, older people, and they gave me that sense of security that like mm -hmm. I desired to get from a mother and a father, even though they were <laughs> not good people not they, good people <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah you're gonna find it's like it's almost like when you're so desired to be cared for and loved you'll take it from even the worst of people. absolutely absolutely and I you know um, abusive situations abusive relationships things like that there's reasons it's like at least here I know someone loves me to where it's like if I fled anywhere else I don't have anyone in the unknown yeah, yeah. And so, and you had said earlier, I guess in our like when we were pre-recording that anger was something that really started welling up in you. Like, 
why anger? Like, what was this? I mean, obviously, you said, like, uh, the family situation was rough, but that kind of came out of nowhere. Like, somebody had said something to you at the mall or something, and you just got super angry, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you almost blacked out. Like, can you just, like, go, like, why why anger for you? Why do you think that was an emotion that just flowed up? I think that the anger came from lack of understanding, like, lack of understanding why I was existing, like, why I had to even just be, because I didn't ask to be born, you know, and I didn't understand, like, you know, in my mind and everything that is portrayed, like, in any kind of story, it's like, you know, your mom and your dad, and then they take care of you, and they raise you, and one happy family, and I never had that opportunity, and then the family that I did have, I mean, my grandmother was amazing. She was just, she really was filled with so much love, and I know that Mm -hmm. I get a lot of my tenderness from her, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't as present as, like, my grandfather was, and I think that mixed with the abuse and the rejection and all of the questions that I had and I wasn't receiving answers for, it really helped to just grow that anger within me. Like I just wanted to know and I just never felt like I was gonna know. that situation where you're you know you're 15 you get your GED um like where did you go from there well um I actually just went to the streets um I got into some situations with people I was just doing a lot of drugs that's what my days were focused on it was focused on hanging out having sex doing drugs sleeping repeating and then it got to the point to where it's like whatever drug was around that's what I was doing and I started to build this community and in my mind in this season I thought that like this is what I need this is my family so there was no there wasn't a whole lot of guilt going on for the lifestyle that I was living Um, until one time I was hanging out with a woman and we had went to a nightclub and I was underage I was still 15 And she said, oh, there's this guy that, like, I want you to meet. And so I was just like, oh, yeah, sure. And so I went and I met this guy. And I ended up going home with him that night. And it was there that, like, I had to stay inside of a trailer for months. And I wasn't allowed to leave. Mm. And he was sexually active with me. And um, there were so many other people who were living inside of the trailer. They didn't speak English. I wasn't allowed to ever go anywhere. If I ever went anywhere, it was when he took me. And one day he went to work and one of his people were, you know, there at the house and I asked him if I could use the car. I just kind of signaled like steering wheel and he gave me the keys, but it was like a stick shift and I didn't know how to drive it. So just like pointed like at the RPMs, like whenever it got to a certain RPM, like that's that's when you shift the gears. (laughs) And so like, that's what I did. I just shifted those gears and I I drove all the way to my parents' house. So I was able to flee and I asked him to just follow me back to that house so I could return that vehicle. And um so my grandfather did he followed me back and um I just told him I was ready to come home I was ready to live like a different kind of life well during this time as I already said like I was on probation for the physical fights that I was getting into and I'd been lying to my probation officer this whole time and so he was just like okay but you got to go check in and I was like all right so the next day we went I stopped at the gas station I remember just being like hey can you give me some cigarettes and (laughs) he was like oh yeah sure so we go inside and um, Heidi Shank was sitting there and that's my probation officer at the time and 
she just started calling me out on all these lies that like I had been telling her up until this point. And I was getting ready to run. And as I was running towards the door to try to flee, a sheriff officer met me and he said, all right, Miss Gushlaw, are you ready? And I was like, oh gosh. So I'd gotten arrested. It was then at that time that I spent a month inside of the juvenile detention facility waiting to see what was gonna happen. And I was put into a program for nine months. Mm. And so there I spent a lot of time thinking, a lot of time just seeing that there, I wasn't alone, I was clean, and that there was a lot of other women and young ladies who were struggling just like me in the world. Mm. And so I made some connections there. Obviously there was tons of self-help books there and stuff like that. And so I just realized that like I could have a better life. Mm. And I had an uncle who lived in Northern Florida as I was getting ready to be released. He just really insisted that I come up and I live with them. Now, like, okay, so you're like, what, at this point, how old are you, like 16? 17. 17, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I know we're gonna get into the quote unquote God stuff mm-hmm. in a minute, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> right, quote unquote. Um, but like in your childhood, was mm-hmm. there any semblance of like at all, like anybody in trying to influence you from a Christian like standpoint? Did anybody have any kind of like poor faith into you? Was there a church? Was there anything mm. like, did you feel God? Was there anything like that led you to like look to the stars and say, you know, mm-hmm. maybe there's somebody out there who cares for me? Yeah, no, I was raised Catholic. And so okay. that was very much like, you know, I answered to the priest. My goal was catechism. You get this, you wear the white veil. And then it was just like this trajectory stairway from there. And then I had an uncle who um, became a Baptist ordained minister. And so mm. when he was working towards that, we ended up switching churches. And, you know, I know that this place was wonderful in his growth. But for me, it was just mortifying because there was a bunch of people. There was a lot of racism inside of this church. And the I was constantly being told that like I had to say the salvation prayer over and over again, mm. that I was going to hell. And I remember seeing this play and it was like this left behind play. And it was like, you know, one person's name's in the book, the other person's not in the book, screaming like this dark figure pulling her down the aisle. And just like, I was never good enough. So that was the God that like I encountered first off was just like, you need to be deathly afraid of me mm. and you need to feel shame for everything you do wrong and say this prayer over and, and I over again. I don't love you. I like, don't love no, there's you. There's no love yeah. there. It's all guilt, yeah. condemnation. Yeah. Judgment. Gotcha. Okay, so you're... You're, you're out of this situation with this guy. You've been put into, you said a month, but then you said you had nine months. I didn't, so you, you were put into a, a month-long program with the juvenile center? Mm, no, juvenile detention. I had to okay. sit in there and okay. wait until they figured out, okay, what program are we going to put her into? Gotcha, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so after that, what happens? I moved to North Florida okay. with an uncle, and um, their intentions were so good but I had already lived so much of my life under my own rule and reign that trying to move into someone's house and their authority, like it just wasn't happening. And I think they got worn out because I would, I started working at this restaurant in Chipley called the Chuck Wagon. And (laughs) there I met more like-minded people Mm, who were engaging in some of the same activities that I was engaging in before. And they were like, hey, come hang out with us. And so I did, which led into me getting into some more trouble Um, I was still on aftercare from leaving this facility program, which is kind of like a probation. Mm. 
I was doing ecstasy one night. I got the phone call and they were like, hey, you need to come home. And so like I came home and I had to take a drug test and I only um, failed for a little bit of marijuana. The lady let me go. But in this time, my uncle was just like, this is too much for us. We can't handle you. You're going to have to move back down to central Florida. But then the owners of um, the restaurant at the time, uh, Tom and Betty Sue, they were like, no, the chuck wagon. wagon. They're (laughs) like, you come and live with us. And so um, that was like probably one of my first instances of where I felt like a love from someone who didn't have to give it to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like come and just be in our home. And they hosted me just like I was their daughter. And they would sit and we would talk and have these wonderful conversations every night. And they trusted me. And it was good. Mm. Um, so I was asked to leave by my uncle and it was in that season that I'd already been working at the chuck wagon for a while and my bosses didn't want to lose me as an employee. So they offered to open up their home to me. And so I went and I lived with them Mm. and in within a few months is when Richard got a job at the chuck Mm. wagon and that's when I met him. Um, I can still remember it to this day. Like he walked in and he was just tall and lanky and his arms were just swinging and he had an application in his hand. And I just, there was this light about him, which Mm. was insane because he was walking in so much darkness, but I just knew that like something about him. So once he started working, we did start dating and it was not a healthy relationship, but it was the first man that I knew I'd ever loved. And Mm. that like, I knew he had loved me back. Um, and so some stuff started happening with the bosses and their restaurants and they just kind of felt hard up on some times and they were just like, all right, Janelle, we're going to have to ask you to like leave. And so when I called Richard to just let him know that I was probably going to be having to move back down to central Florida, he was just like, no, you can't. And I was like, why? He's like, because I love you. Mm. And within a week he had a new place for us to stay. And so I moved in with him. And so we were living together. of our relationship. I was 18 and um, we were pretty solid for a year and by solid it was still like up and down and dark but you know there was like no separations or anything like that and after a year I decided that we were going to go to Marianne. I was going to go back to school for psychology and so I did. Like I started going to college and so I moved to Marianna and he moved over with me and I met this um, family and they were called the Baileys is what I call them, Erica Bailey. And so they were swooned in the spirit all the time. Like they made me completely uncomfortable. Like every time I would come to their house, they had stuff on the TV. There was gospel music all the time. Like her father was just always shouting up to the sky. Like, and they had this crazy faith that was just, you know, it's like the Lord's going to take care of everything. They had no punctuality. Like they were late for everything. Like, But they were so filled with the spirit and they began to just kind of speak life into me. And I like decided that I didn't want to live with Richard anymore. So like I moved out into my own and I got my own apartment. So that decision came from from what place? Like you didn't want to be with them because... It was encouragement from the family saying that, like, this isn't right. This isn't how, like, God has called you to, like, live your life. And I I wanted God, and I wanted Jesus, and I wanted him to be happy with me, Mm. right? I wanted him to be pleased with me because I don't want to go to hell. Like, and so that's So the end of the the relationship was partly for 
because you knew it was wrong, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But it wasn't based out of, I know it's wrong, therefore, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's the, it was almost like a religious kind of, right? Right? I mean, absolutely, okay. absolutely, yeah. So I did that. And I mean, him and I, like we were back and forth for a really long time. But like during the season, I started meeting other people from the college, other people from the neighborhood. If I saw someone sitting in a Waffle House, I would just like go up and talk with them. And um, as long as it was four or less people, four or less people, <laughs> four or less people. They had someone sitting on the end. That was it. I'm not going to their table. Uh, <laughs> and um, so I just I started inviting all these people to our house and stuff and or in, into my house and um, from that I got this job at Ruby Tuesdays with some of the people that I had met so I started working there and one day on my way to work I had blacked out I don't know what happened I was in my little red Ford Focus and I was just going around a curve and I I guess my car flipped three times I landed inside of the woods it was on its top I remember hearing yesterday by the Beatles playing from the car I just knew I was laying on the ground and I was walking up this tree with my hands saying a psalm that I remember Erica and her family always saying And I walked out to the road and these old ladies were driving by and I just remember waving them down. I saw my reflection in their window. I had like blades of grass under my lips, just like blood everywhere. And I just remember feeling really euphoric by the time the EMT had got there from all the blood that I had lost. Like, yeah, hey. Yeah, 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 and so they good. like, you know. Not in a good way though. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had, um, they, they put me into the ambulance, took me to the hospital. I wasn't able to work for like a really long time. And so I, again, I went and stayed with the same uncle. Like. Right. <laughs> that took me in the first time. <laughs> right, right. And so I stayed there and, um, until I was able to go back and to um, go to work. And then so once I got back into work, got around my friends, back with the co-workers and in the hospitality industry, there is a lot yeah. of drug and yeah. alcohol use. And <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's what was happening at my house. Um, so it was also in this season that I had ended up... Um, getting pregnant with a one-night stand, and the one-night stand turned into a relationship, and it was not a good relationship. Um, I went full-term with the baby. I remember Richard just being like, hey, let me help you raise this baby, and I was like, no, based off of all of these things I've been taught in my life, this baby needs its father, and um, You know, so I'm, and I don't want to get an abortion because I know I'll go to hell if I get an abortion kind of thing because of these, these are just things that were coming in my mind as I was dealing with all of it. And so I ended up carrying, and then on November 2nd, I thought I was going into labor. I went to the hospital. They put me in the little wheelchair, took me into my room, just like, oh, you're having your baby. And they started putting little things all around my belly, looking for the heartbeat. And they kept looking. And they kept looking and they were like, hold on, we're going to call the doctor in. So they called the doctor in and she couldn't find the heartbeat. And she just looked at me and she said, we're going to have to induce delivery. I'm sorry. Mm. And so I was 38 weeks and the baby didn't make it. So I gave birth to a full term stillbirth. Um, And after that, obviously, I wasn't right mentally. I didn't receive any kind of counseling or anything like that. The guy that we had that I was in the relationship with, we didn't work out and I turned to alcohol like really hard. Like I was drinking and driving way more than I should have been. It's amazing that I didn't get caught (laughs) and that I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so eventually after that season, I had, um, 
I had started to seek out something greater than me. I would look at the stars more often. I would look at the moon. I would look at the grass. I was amazed by science. And I became more of an agnostic. Like, mm. this whole Jesus thing was not for me. Right, like, right. I couldn't do it. Like, you know, I had studied world religions. I liked the concept of the tranquility and peace and all his love. And so I just started seeking through different avenues and books and stuff like that. And I, my, I became more level-headed. I remember getting up at like 6 in the morning and going and having toast and coffee so I could watch the old people inside of the diners and just <laughs> write and reflect. Wow. And um, so eventually, though, Richard started talking to me again because he wasn't talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> And that's all it took was one conversation. I was a pharmacy technician at the time, and he was still in hospitality in um, Panama City. And so we both had quit our jobs and decided that we were going to just state park it. We were going to live in a tent. And that's what we did. We had our two bicycles, a white pickup truck, just um, some clothes, a Coleman camp stove. And we just, uh, you know, we just traveled state park to park state to park. park. Yeah. Once we got to Austin, Texas, though, we decided, like, whoa, we're going to settle here for a little bit. This place yeah. is really awesome. And so we stayed at McKinney, McKinney Falls State Park. And um, our life was just basically smoking weed every <laughs> night, drinking some PBR, and going to listen to some pretty amazing music. And then we went to go see this show one evening. It was like the Red Elvises. And I had a beer, and I was like really jealous of our bartender <laughs> like I was like some kind of like something and I was just like something's not right like something's not okay and so the next day I told um Rich we were getting ready to go out I was like I'm gonna go to the Heb it's the H-E-B there I was like I'm gonna go get a 12 pack and a pregnancy test <laughs> oh Jesus <laughs> <laughs> honest truth. and so I did I, I went and I got the 12 pack and the pregnancy test I came back and I took the test and I was pregnant and then you celebrated with a 12 pack. I was mortified. <laughs> I, all, <laughs> all rage uh, came. Really? Yes, I was really upset. I did not want to be pregnant. I remember mm. throwing the test at Richard and using obscenities <laughs> like right. when I revealed, like, hey. And he was just in shock. I just still remember his face. He was just sitting there looking at me, and he was so indifferent. And then the next day, because um, I worked at this restaurant called Chewy's, I got a job while we were out there. Yeah. Uh, we were on our way out there, and I was just like, I don't want this baby. Mm. I, I want an abortion. Mm -hmm. It was hot. We were sitting in traffic. And he just kind of took a moment, and he just looked over at me, and he was like, no, mm. we're going to keep this baby, and we're going to raise it. And so... So we did, but obviously we had nothing. So he called his mom and he was like, hey, listen, we got a baby on the way. <laughs> so we're going to come home and uh, yeah, we need some help. And so his family did. His family rallied around us and really helped us get on our feet and stuff like that. I, and this whole entire time, like I'm still struggling with the indifference inside of me, like mm -hmm. knowing what I had already walked through in 2008 with the first baby like mm, I just was not ready to yeah I was not ready to go through this again um but it wasn't only my child and so right. there's that um so once I got down here though I got the pregnancy Medicaid and they were like hey we need to see we need to see that you're really pregnant and I'm like 
here's all these tests. Is this not good? <laughs> and they're like, no, you have to actually go to a facility. We have to have this paper. And so I was like, all right. So I went to a, a woman's pregnancy center over by off of College Avenue. I think yeah. so it's road it's on. And so uh, it was there that I met Becky Whitfield. Mm. And she was my counselor for the day. I walked in and she was just so incredibly pleasant. And she was like, welcome. And then she immediately just started talking about Jesus. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I just like I took the test and then she gave me this folder and just continued to really emphasize on Christ and like mm. his goodness and his grace and I just remember looking at her like Becky you can keep your Jesus mm. and she was still so sweet and pleasant after she kind of chuckled and laughed and she was like I really hope you and your boyfriend get married and I was like we don't believe in marriage <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and so I had to go back that was part of the um it was part of the contingency that I would continue to come back and that like, you know, if I continued to come back, then I'd get to see, have an ultrasound. And for me, I needed mm. that because yeah, yeah, of the yeah. fear. Yeah, that's right. And so as I continued to come back, she just um, kept inviting me. She was like, I, I just really think that you need to get out. You need to find some women. Um, you're a new mom, you know, just come in and be with us. And so she was like, I have this friend who has this Bible study at her house. Just just come and sit. And she was like, it is faith-based, but you can meet other moms. And I was like, okay, fine. I was so alone. I didn't know anybody here. And I had all so these identity issues. In I'm in okay. Tallahassee. Okay, at this right. point, yeah, we moved back. His family rallied, rallied, yeah, rallied. Right. And we're living in a one-bedroom apartment off of Hayden Avenue by Stadium. And so um, he's working as a Pizza Hut delivery driver, and I'm sitting at home watching The Office and eating ice cream <laughs> yeah. every <Right>. day. <laughs> kind of sounds like our lives. <laughs> Pregnancy, quarantine. Oh. Thank you, COVID. Mm, yes. And so um, I started to go, and I was really uncomfortable because I felt like these women, like every time they could look at me, like my past was just like written mm. all over me with Sharpies like of all of this stuff. Yeah. And I had all these hidden sins of the things that had happened to me with the trafficking and some of the, like I'd never shared with anybody before. And so I was so afraid that like if they found out, oh, what would happen if they found out? But I kept coming back. I would, I remember shaking and being sweaty and palmy hands. But I just continued to come back. And Becky would always, she would come pick me up. She would be that level of comfort for me. And um, she was like, oh, have you heard about this radio station? And I was like, no. And then <laughs> it was like 88.1. It was like this Christian radio station. You should just listen to it. And so I finally, one week, I did decide to listen to it. And as I was listening to it, it was a story of the woman at the well, mm. the Samaritan woman, of all of her sexual sins. And for me, that was just like, was like, man, I can relate to that. That's a good story. I was like, oh, even Jesus accepted that, you know? And then I heard it one other time. And then, so I was getting ready to go to the ladies' meeting at Chris Bell's house. And when I went, the pastor of Genesis, his mother was giving her testimony. And so as she sat down and began to share a testimony, she used the story of the woman at the well. Oh, wow. And it was in that moment I felt something that I'd never felt before. And it was freedom coming mm -hmm. from the skies. And I'd accepted Christ. I was like, wow. you know what? Like, I've rebelled so long and I've tried everything else. Like, right, if yeah. you're real, then come on, let's go. Jesus. And yeah, so, right. yeah, it was in that moment that... Um, that I had accepted Christ. Um, it didn't get uh, a lot easier from there. Like, obviously, I mean, I hadn't been married. I was pregnant, and Richard was not in a season where I was. Like, he didn't understand. He was very against this whole Jesus thing. 
but I still wanted to pursue marriage, so I did. I pursued marriage, and I had been warned about, you know, what it's going to be like if you're unequally yoked, but I had that whole thing still in my head. Like, I didn't have a whole lot of truths. I still had a lot of law that was really built in me for this Jesus. I didn't understand grace and stuff. So him and I got married against... Lean into it. Oh, him and I had gotten married against, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, against, and I I had to walk that out. There were definitely consequences, um, but the Lord is capable of making such beauty from our ashes. And man, like my life is so good. So the child I decided to keep for those of you who do go to Red Hills Mm -hmm. is Sage. And she is such a light and she knows her story. She was our game changer. Mm. Um, I think something for both Richard and I, like we didn't understand a love. And then once we became parents, it started to show us that like, okay, this is what a love of a father looks like. Mm. And so we were able to compare our love for our daughter to this love that this God says that he has for us, this unconditional love, no matter what you do, there's no thing you know i get why the father was sitting on the front porch waiting for his yeah. son to return that's right, you know that's what i'm right, saying that's right, yeah. and so like it just burned this passion within me to continue to seek jesus and it was like this warfare because everything that i had been taught up until this point were like lies but mm-hmm. i'd seen them as truth so for my spiritual walk even though i'd accept christ i rode on other christians coattails for like seven years yeah. i looked to other believers to the way to Jesus because I was enamored and inspired by them. I was missing it. I was still missing the point. Like he wants the relationship with us that mm. you can't good deed your way into heaven yeah. or like, he's not going to love you anymore or any less yeah, yeah. because of your actions, you know? And it wasn't up until like a year and a half ago, I had a panic attack. Like I wanted to leave Tallahassee My husband wasn't so sure about it. We had an offer on the table for us. That was a really good offer. And I didn't want to do it. And I felt like we were just pleasing people. And so I had like months of just intense stress. Like every day, like my heart rate was up. My brain was going crazy. And I just remember I got in my truck and I was on my way to go pick up Sage from school. And I thought I was dying. I literally Mm. felt like life was leaving my body. And I pulled off in the side dirt road off of Elda Dairy. I called Ashland Forstall and I said, hey girl, I think I'm dying. I have Phoenix in the car. My heart rate, I I don't know what's happening. I feel like it's getting really just, I can't explain. Everything feels like it's a dream right now. And she said, I'll be right there. She did. She came and got the kids. She took me to the hospital. I thought I was losing my mind. Like, mm-hmm. And once I got into the hospital, they were like, you are having a severe panic attack. And so they put me in this room and just really calmed me down. And they came in and they were like, what is going on inside of your life right now? And I shared and they were like, you can't live like this. And so Richard rushed home from his job and he came to the hospital. and was like, honey. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I can't live for people. I can't live for your like." Family, I can't yeah. live for just, I can't be this peacemaker. I can't fix anything. I can't do that's it anymore. Right. And so, like, I just let it all go. And it's like, <laughs> that's like that scripture. And he was just like, deny yourself, pick up this cross, and follow me for the first time. I did that a year and a half ago. Wow. And it has just been consistent, like, 
praising and dancing and like him walking me through the valley and him exposing like all of these things to me about areas in my life that I have unbelief. And he's like, the reason you don't have rest here is because you don't believe me. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it, that's the beauty. It's yeah. And that's also just the beauty of, of being a Christian. So many people like want to sugarcoat it. Like, Oh, if you accept Jesus, your life's going to be easy. It's the exact opposite of that, you know, but it's so wonderful. And if you think about like, and the Lord's constantly reminding me of this, like all the rejection that I went through, like, you know, you want to talk about like, okay, so how can you contrast your old, like your old self to today? And it's like all the rejection that I had gone through is only a small glimmer of the amount of rejection that Christ went through on my behalf. And yeah. so like in that, I can see that like I'm suffering just as my Savior had suffered because that's what we're going to do. Like that's what the Bible tells us. Like we're mm-hmm. going to endure the same thing. Like Christ was rejected, you're going to be rejected. And so a few lies that decided to follow me even into my life as being a Christ follower is funny because it was just like, I'm unlovable by a family. I have no family that I like is my biological family that I do life with on a contingent basis. And then the abandonment and the rejection, I still feel that way. Like sometimes the enemy in the quiet time still brings those moments and I'm able to fight it with these truths out of Psalm 68, five, father, you are father to the fatherless. Job 29, 12, I rescued the fatherless who had none to assist them. Like I didn't have anyone and he showed up and he assisted me and he walked me through those moments. Other lies that I believe because of the trafficking and and all of my sexual partners that I had had is that I didn't save myself for marriage, but I had no idea the beauty of what sex could be. Was you're trashed, you can be unloved by men, you're used goods, you're unpure. And the Lord was just like, Janelle, you are unpure and broken even before you engaged in sexual (laughs) sin. Second Corinthians 5 17 it says there's a new creation I make a new creation all who is in Christ old is gone and the new is here it's not coming it is here and so he just said like he pursues us Psalm 36 7 I pursue you with my steadfast love in me I am your refuge so when I need that security and when I need that safety I don't have to go back to the dry well anymore I don't have to run to the world I don't have to run to the bottle I don't have to run to a friend to gossip about my life or see what they have to say about it I run to the cornerstone I stand on the rock and so, uh, preach. Yeah, you're preaching Listen. right now. Just keep going. Uh, I'm gonna keep. I'm not. I'm not gonna stop the recording. Just keep going. Okay. Okay. And so, um, and then just as I said, that woman at the well in John four, the sexual sin, it tainted me. It labeled me. I didn't have to share that with anyone. But the Lord tells us that when we sin, we need to bring it to the light because in the light there can be no darkness. And so when the woman walked up to Jesus and she said, "Sir, give me this water so that I can get thirsty." And have, and I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. As much as I hated my lifestyle and my weakness, I would always run back to that dry well to try to bring up water. So when I tasted of Christ, the water that I would never have to thirst again, freedom has been set really deep in my marrows, and I've never felt tied to the earth anymore. Mm. I always feel His presence. I feel His freedom. 
I know he is always in pursuit. I know that just like for the Israelites, he set that cloud of fire before those, cho- those people who were enslavement. He went before them. He told them that they didn't have to fear. And I can now walk bold in Christ, not in myself, not in my weakness, not in my sin, not in my past. I can walk boldly because I know who goes before me. Right. And it is the king of kings. And to God be the glory that Amen. I can sit here today and tell you this story because the things of my past do not make me right. because I am a new creation. That's in him. right. That's right. Praise Jesus. So, so Janelle, from that, which was absolutely amazing, um, that was not planned, and I, <laughs> and I loved every second of that. Where, where do you? I mean, you talked about what God has been doing, and you talked about how God has transformed, used your past to sh- shape your future, and all of that. But where do you feel like? I mean, where do you see God right now? Like, where, where are you right now, and where do you see God taking you in the in the future? Mm. So currently, I feel called to a season of rest because I have this innate desire to constantly be busy. I don't like idle time. I feel like we don't have time to waste. And so I will constantly be sitting and just monologuing with God, <laughs> not even saying that I'm really talking with him because I'm not listening to what he has says, mm. like is willing to say back to me. And so I'm like, oh, Lord, this is a great idea. This is good. So it must be you. And he's just like, uh, and he like the Lord lets us go sometimes. Right. Like, I mean, it's just natural consequences. And so like I have set out in pursuit of several different roads, like, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to have this ministry. Oh, I'm yeah. where my family and I are going to do this. I'm going to do that. And every time it comes back void and the Lord's like, no, that's not yeah. what I've called you to do. And so even, um, well, I'll just say that, like, I know that what the Lord has called me to right now is my home, my family, my husband, my children. We're currently taking in my niece who has come from her own extensive life of her story. And yeah. so it's broken, you know, and he's given us the opportunity to hold on to a little more of his treasure. And so yeah. we find it to be an yeah. honor. And um, I'm just listening. So I'm sitting by the still waters and I'm listening and I'm letting go of all of these blueprints that I've set up and like sign God's name at the bottom. Mm. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Well, Janelle, um, through this whole process, I knew you had a good story <clears throat> and we had, we had kind of just like in the couple of years I've known you kind of had these like side conversations and like I, and I, I, I knew that you, God had, I know you've been through a lot, but I didn't know. And so I'm so thankful that you for your openness. I'm so blown away by your willingness to just put it out there and just say, God be the glory. You know, because yes. so many of us, we hold our past so tightly because we're afraid of what people will think or will they be able to handle it? Is it too much? Is it, am I extra for people, you know? And that, 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 that diminishes god in that because god like you said he used every last bit every ounce every all of that that you went through he's he's using every last drop of that to change who you are and mold i mean just the thing that you're talking about with your niece like i didn't think about that like Mm -hmm. like her past maybe not be the same they're not the same same story 
But you're, you have an opportunity, and God's giving you an opportunity here to change that girl's future. Mm-hmm. And what he's doing in there is it's just, it's just mind-blowing. So thank you so much. You're such yeah. an inspiration. I know I'm not trying to, like, God be the glory. I get it. That's you right. Know? To God be the glory. But you are an inspiration. <laughs> I love it. I love you. I think, I think you're amazing. So thank you so much. Aww. Thanks for having me.